In December of 2020, during Advent, I arrived into this space one Sunday morning, get ready for live stream because we were doing everything virtually, right, at that point. And on my door is an eight and a half by 11 photo of myself, the staff photo that was on the website, printed out, eight and a half by 11. But on my body was a photo of Nicolas Cage, or on my head, a photo of Nicolas Cage. So I, and, and folks in the sound booth, I'm gonna move up here. They, these folks just gotta get the visual. So this, this, was, this was on my door to my office. That is me, but that's Nicolas Cage. Uh, the head, right? This is, this is what I arrived to on, on my door. But, but you see, I have lots of copies because I arrived to one on my chair. And on the volunteer chair that some of you sit in when you volunteer in the office. And I found one in the printer room. And I found, well, I found a number in a number of spots. And then I found another kind of collection, a family photo, a Michelle, Leo, and me, a photo we took on Easter of 2020. But again, Nicolas Cage laughing it up with us. <laughs> and, uh, and this one uh, was found on the front of this pulpit. And just for good measure, there was one just for me behind the pulpit. 8.30, the sanctuary, you weren't left out. Pulpit was there. And, uh, and then, you know, there were, there were so many, I haven't kept all of them, but uh, that I, for weeks, found more and more. <laughs> Library, behind books, I mean, all kinds of things. No one was here but a few of us staff, so I was the one inevitably running into all of these, of myself and Nick. And on my desk, it said, from Nicolas Cage in my body, enjoy your birthday donuts, love Nick. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, inside, we're not donuts because the person behind this knew I really don't have much of a sweet tooth. It was a bunch of fruit and veggies, which I do love, no lie. And uh, I have to admit, I'm walking around the church and I just, this is so strange. And I don't, I didn't get it. Actually, I still don't get it. <laughs> like, honestly. But it's also really funny. And uh, do you know who caged me in 2020? Any guesses who was behind that? David Lee Halsey. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's the knowing. Like, ah, yeah, of course. Oh, man, laughter, humor. <laughs> he is such a jokester. And the staff, the staff knew about this, too. They were a little bit, they, they, they were just dying when I was sharing, them with, sharing this with them. Uh, the notable 20th century German theologian, Helmut Tikla, uh, whose nationality, German and profession, theologian, uh, probably conjures a sense of, dourness and somberness, uh, he once wrote, you know, a church is in a bad way when it banishes laughter from the sanctuary and leaves it to the cabaret, the nightclub, and the Toastmasters. Laughter. A gift from God which has deep roots in the Bible itself. It's a gift that's at the heart of our Genesis passage today, especially the second half where we're going to focus. That word laughter is crammed in there four different times in just the last two, three sentences. You all heard we hear these two visitors come, these three visitors, sorry, come to Abram and Sarah. And they are, in fact, the very presence of the Lord visiting Abram and Sarah, though they, they don't know that. 
And after this wonderful opening scene on hospitality, which is worthy of its, its own separate sermon, uh, one of the three visitors you heard tells Abram, I'm going to surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, will have a son. And the narrator then underscores the ridiculousness of what has just been said by telling us now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced and aged. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. We're told Sarah herself overhears this promise the stranger is making and laughs to herself, saying, after I've grown so old, my husband's old, shall I be fruitful? Sarah laughed. But of course, as Amy pointed out in the moment with the children, it's, it's kind of a scoff. You can read into the context that, you know, not all laughter is the same, is it? I think in our times, there, there is a kind of laughter that is, I would say, fairly widespread. The fuel for this kind of laughter is usually found in roasting the other side. Usually, not always, the other political side. It's a kind of humor that kind of revels in pointing out the ridiculous inconsistencies of the other side. The absolute stupidity. The outlandish decisions, declarations, demonstrations. Talk shows, online videos, memes. You know, even family-friend conversation in the safe confines of sort of a like-minded space. More and more, you can hear some of this laughter that has sort of an edge to it. A kind of laughing, I think, that sometimes we do so we don't start yelling. Or crying. If I had to put a word to it, just one word, I think the word would be cynical. Just skeptical, mocking, distrustful, cynical. I hear a measure of that laughter, that kind of laughter in our passage. After I've grown old, my husband's an old, shall I be fruitful? You can hear the, the ha, cynicism. Hey, yeah, right. Yeah, right. And look, most people whose laughter is tinged with cynicism, Sarah, has good reason. She's older. She's past childbearing age, which is to say Sarah's just looking at the very true, very stark, very present facts before her. George Carlin, the comedian, once noted, you know, scratch any cynic and you will find a disappointed idealist. Someone who used to believe. And yeah, Sarah desperately wanted a child of her own. Undoubtedly wanted to believe when God first came to Abraham some years ago and said, you're going to be the biological father of nations. Wanted to believe even then somehow something can happen. And, and yeah, if we're honest and we're a little bit vulnerable with one another, I think we might take a few moments to say, I do. We do want to believe this country can change for good, and that we can, and, and, and they can actually change and, and grow, and, 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 and we do want to believe in some kind of a trust, a reconciliation with, with relationships and friendships that have been broken, that are stalled, that are just empty, that we, we do want to believe there's something still there, and, and we'd like to believe that the marriage, the endeavor, the, the plan, the, the could succeed, the addiction can be broken. The cycle can be broken. We, 
But the plain facts, the plain facts before us are to the contrary and have been that way for quite some time. So yeah, sorry, not sorry, if we're a little bit cynical. I do believe a good many in our day get in some daily laughs. But for a good many of us, it's the kind that comes with that edge, that ache, that bitterness. Ha! The problem, of course, is that a steady diet of cynicism, as Rachel Held Evans once noted, uh, it may seem like a mild transgression, but it is a patient predator that suffocates hope slowly over many years. Perhaps it is possible then to laugh ourselves to death, she points out. Thank goodness ours is a God who's all about meeting us in the heart of the valley, the calloused cynicism, the impossible spaces, because right then and there at that space of broken laughter. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? In other words, God is starting to step right into that space, call out the cynical laughter, the distrust, and then speaks a singular question that sits at the crux of the entire challenge before her, perhaps before us. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord, put another way, are there, are there certain things, certain dreams, certain hopes that are simply too lofty, too far gone, too amazing, too, too impossible, quite frankly, for the Lord? Are, are, are there any? We know the Sunday school answer. All things, all things are possible with God, but like Sarah... Perhaps some of our cynical or jadedness or, or even numbness in recent days makes clear we, we can have a real hard time believing that all things are possible or that the ache we have has a shot of some kind of good fruition. Now, in this instance, you heard, if we, if we keep reading the story, uh, we do find uh, it, the, the story told in Genesis chapter 1 that the Lord has kept the promise, a child born to Sarah, and as you heard in the moment with the children, named Isaac, which means one who laughs, one who rejoices. And I love how Genesis talks about that. That's right, Annabelle named Isaac for us. And she, Sarah, then declares, God has brought me laughter. Almost as if she hadn't been laughing before. Or whatever kind of laughter she had before doesn't qualify as the real thing. God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who, who would have said to Abraham and, uh, that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne a son in this old age? We hear in Genesis 21 a kind of laughter that has no trace of cynicism or edge. It, it, it's the kind of laughter that laughs because of just how overwhelmingly and unexpectedly good <laughs> the thing is. Frederick Beekner, uh, the Presbyterian minister and author, he once put it this way. You know, a good joke is one that catches you by surprise. 
like God's, for instance. Who would have guessed that Israel of all nations would be the one God picked? Or Sarah would have Isaac at the age of 90, or the Messiah would turn up in a manger. The laugh in each case results from the astonished delight at the sheer unexpectedness of the thing. We could take it further. Who would have guessed that billions of people around the globe would, would, would follow a God who, who was placed on an instrument of shameful torture 2,000 years ago? Who would have thought that from the depths of death itself, life proves stronger? Time and again, there's this, this wondrous measure of unexpectedness about our God, and it, and it brings a kind of, can you believe it, laughter, a kind of joy amid sorrow, laughter, a kind of free amid the chains, laughter. Children, children especially, they just get this kind of laughter intuitively. I will hide my face behind a pillow for a few moments and pop back out for our two-year-old Logan, and he is just going to be rolling with these deep, Belly laughs from the core of his being. You can just see the whole body shaking. The joy of the unexpected. You weren't there. Now you're here. You were lost. Now you're found. You were gone. Now you're home. You want to hear the, what the gift of God's surprise sounds like. Get near children. They live and move and breathe in the good news laughter. To be sure, I don't know when or how or if God will bring about good news in just the way we're hoping good news will result from this ache we carry today. It may or may not happen in the way we really feel it needs to happen. It may happen even more strikingly beautiful ways than you could ever imagine. Regardless, I do wonder how our bellies might find the depths of that kind of goodness and that laughter once more. Are there ways the sheer unexpectedness of God might just bowl us over with a kind of free laugh? You know, many years after those visitors told Sarah she would have a child, another visitor showed up to another woman in scripture a much younger woman much poorer woman and this visitor made a similar promise actually the same promise unto you a child will be born you remember this one he will be great he will be the son of the most high he will be given the throne of king david and his kingdom of it there shall be no end Instead, and instead of asking this particular woman, young Mary, is there anything too wonderful for the Lord? The visitor angel just goes on and answers the question in the exchange we hear every Christmas. The angel tells Mary, nothing is impossible with God. And do you remember how young Mary responds to this outlandish, inconceivable, world-altering promise? Luke chapter 2, she starts to sing what we call the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. And eventually the song, if, if you follow it, it moves into this testimony about God. For the mighty one has done great things. 
His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thought. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent away the rich empty. Oh, he has helped his servant Israel. The song goes on and on, but the, thing I, the reason I read it, do you notice the tense she's singing in? Past tense. My soul magnifies the Lord because God has, God has, God has. Mary's able to believe the laughable promise of God, not because she has any reason for hope given her immediate situation and the realities of the Roman Empire, but because she can see so clearly what God has done. There is something about looking back, something about naming God's faithful blessing known to us in surprising ways time and again. Something about that that frees the soul from pulling on the cynical armor once more lest we be disappointed and somehow opens the soul to a new season of anticipation. My soul magnifies the Lord because I see so clearly surprise after surprise. What do you see when you look back? When you look back even generations, where are the moments, the seasons, the people, the surprises that you just kind of half smile and laugh that might open the soul unto a magnification, a, a receptivity? Back to David Lee one more time and his humor. David Lee, as, as you all know, was a person who... He had a way of always believing things were going to work out. He's kind of calming presence. Like, God's got this. Yeah? And I think David Lee, uh, it's because a lot like Mary, was so aware of how faithful God had been in his own life, but not only in his own life. David Lee was aware of how faithful God had been in his grandmother's life. Poppy Halsey. One of the dear longtime members of First Presbyterian Church, Georgetown. And so David Lee always is, has come with this awareness of God's faithfulness, not only in his life and in his years at First Presbyterian Georgetown, but also this awareness of God's faithfulness at First Presbyterian Georgetown and all the Poppy Halsey years and those generations. And then all that Poppy brought with her from the previous generations. David Lee brought a kind of... Uh, Laughter and humor to the work that had a trust anchored in a deep, long remembrance. Because as you probably recall, December 2020 was dark. We're not meeting in person. People are tired. There's no vaccines out for, the, for everybody. Hospitals are full. Anxieties through the roof. Political volatility. It just felt heavy. And no, this is hardly, a, you know, a baby born unto a barren woman, but it, it felt like such an unexpected, confusing, playful kind of humor that in itself was, to me, kind of a sign of how our God shows up in the dark spaces. Somehow showing up in the cynical valleys, the, the impossible places with a kind of grace, a kind of vitality, a kind of music, a kind of joy that has a sheer unexpected 
never saw it come into light. May God grant us eyes to see God's faithfulness these past 169 years at FPC Georgetown. And may God grant us the confidence to believe and receive then the astonishing, delightful thing emerging in our midst. Amen.